Ready to rise and shine. Rise and shine, chop chop. Rise and shine. Rise and shine, it's a beautiful day. Rise and shine, rise and shine. Rise and shine. Rise and shine. You guys are nerds. This is exactly what the nerds want. Our name shall become legend. Spoken in hushed tones by nerds across the galaxy. If you build it, nerds will come. Nerds must love this place. They think we're a bunch of nerds, and I'll tell you something. I think they're right. Let, let the nerds take over. Let the nerds take over! Rise and shine, nerds. Grab your coffee, wipe the sleep from your eyes, and turn up the volume as we help you kick off your day with Love Thy Nerds official morning show here on YouTube and LTN Radio. I'm Radio Matt. I am the director of content and resources for Love Thy Nerd. And I'm Deidre from the planet Vulcan. This week, we are Star Trekking across the universe. Ooh. And uh, today, we're starting where it all began with Star Trek, the original series. Yes. Uh, I wasn't the biggest fan mm-hmm. of the show. It just... Mm-hmm. Not necessarily because it was bad, mm-hmm. just because it was old. <laughs> you know, it was it was Nick at Night. You know, it was it was just very right outdated. Right, even when I was a kid, very outdated mm-hmm. show, and so it didn't appeal to me. It looked it looked like exactly what it was. <laughs> The beginnings of what we thought science fiction TV was supposed to look like. Right. But right. just, you mm-hmm. know, so, so early on that it was just hard for me to get into. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but, I mean, look what they had to work with back then. They mm-hmm. didn't have all the technologies that we do to make it look. Oh, yeah. What What is amazing is how, like, it, it pulled off all that stuff that inspired so much stuff in mm-hmm. the future. Mm-hmm. To where now we can look at things like Strange New Worlds, and they're using things that look like stuff that we used mm-hmm. uh, as you know people now, and even their stuff it does look outdated. They have the flip right. communicators right. or whatever. Yeah. this is set in the same era mm-hmm. as US, and now that stuff does look old and classic. Right, mm-hmm. and so but back then it looked super futuristic, mm-hmm. and I can see how. When it was first airing, people that were getting into it, which wasn't a lot at the beginning, but mm-hmm. people were getting into it like, hey, this is pretty cool futuristic stuff. Right. <clears throat> um, the problem was we were born as the next generation was starting. Mm-hmm. And so we got to see the massive upgrade mm-hmm. and what next generation had. And then when we finally got around to watching original Star Trek, it's like, Ugh. This bare bones, (laughs) bare bones space up here. Um, But it was, it is a fun show. Uh Um, And it has a lot of episodes that are certified classics to -hmm. this day. Mm -hmm. Um, Got the City on the Edge of Forever ones. We got the original Mirror Universe ones. Mm -hmm. Mirror Universe is always a fun thing, fun gimmick. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's, it's appropriate that... It laid the groundwork for Star Trek. Um, but of course, when it was airing, not super popular. Mm-hmm. It took a while to get people on board, which I, I get because it's a new kind of thing. Right. New yeah. Kind of thing like was it canceled? It was canceled. Uh, after the third season, it was canceled. That's why there wasn't like a 
actual story right. storyline finale. Right. Um, it was almost canceled after season two, hmm. but there was a fan campaign to keep it going, and it worked for one more season. Um, let's take a look at some nerdy facts about the original series, uh, facts that I love here. Okay. The show was created, of course, by Gene Roddenberry, uh, who was uh, a former pilot and police officer. He wanted to make a show that was optimistic about the future and dealt with social issues and moral dilemmas. He pitched the show as the wagon train to the stars. The iconic opening narration, Space the Final Frontier, was written by Roddenberry and recorded by William Shatner, who plays James C. Kirk. But the original version had uh, different wording. It originally went like this. This is the adventure of the United Spaceship Enterprise. Assigned a five-year galaxy patrol, the bold crew of the giant starship explores the excitement of strange new worlds, uncharted civilizations, and exotic people. These are its voyages and its adventures. <laughs> That sounds dumb, <laughs> doesn't it? Compared to the one that they went with, it sounds awful. But it could just be because that other one has been so iconic. Right, right. What if this was the one they used? Would we think this sounds great? Right. And the other this one sounds is awful. the adventure. But now this sounds so stupid to United me. Spaceship. United Spaceship Enterprise sounds yeah. so bad. <laughs> Five-year galaxy patrol yeah. sounds like they're trying oh, too hard. <laughs> Sounds like they're trying too hard to be spacey. Galaxy Patrol. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> exotic people just sounds offensive. <laughs> oh. oh, gosh. The show had a diverse and multicultural cast, which is rare for the mm -hmm. time. Mm -hmm. uh, featured Nichelle Nichols. Uh, Nichelle Nichols. As uh, Lieutenant Uhura, the first African-American woman to have a major role in TV show, like Baxter Tooth said in the beginning. Mm -hmm. uh, the... <sighs> Lost my place. Sorry. George Takai and Lieutenant Sulu, as Lieutenant Sulu, one of the first Asian-American actors to have a prominent role on TV. Mm -hmm. And Walter Koenig, Koenig, I don't remember how to pronounce it, Ensign Chekhov, a uh, Russian character who was added to the second season to appeal to the Soviet audience. The show had a groundbreaking moment when it featured the first interracial kiss on American TV Ooh. by Kirk and Uhura in the episode uh -huh. Plato's Stepchildren. <laughs> Network was nervous about the reaction from viewers, especially um, in the South. Mm -hmm. uh, the cast insisted on doing it, but the network insisted they record different takes, including ones without the kiss. And uh, they, Shatner and Nichols deliberately messed up all the takes without the kiss. So they would have <laughs> to use the one with it, which I think is wow bold. And, right, and cool. right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the show introduced many iconic elements of Star Trek lore. Uh, the Vulcan salute, mm -hmm. the Vulcan nerve pinch, mm -hmm. the Klingons, the Romulans, the Prime Directive. It also popularized many catchphrases, phrases, <laughs> such as uh, live long and prosper. Beam Me Up, Scotty was popularized, but it wasn't actually a line that, that came from the pop culture aspect of it. Right. But he never actually says, beam me up, Scotty. Right. Uh, I'm a doctor, not a blank. And <laughs> he's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. Yeah. Yeah, he never says, beam me up, Scotty. He says, beam me up, Mr. Scott. He says, Scotty, beam me up. But he never says, beam me up, Scotty, in the entire run of the series. I want to know how many people... Watched every episode, waiting for that line. <laughs> I thought this was something they said every every episode. 
<clears throat> He's dead, Jim. Uh, the show was not very successful when it first aired. It had low mm-hmm. ratings and faced cancellations several times. Mm-hmm. Ever gained a loyal fan base who wrote letters and organized campaigns to save the show. It also became more popular in syndication. Uh, and that's when it spawned the huge franchise of spinoffs, movies, books, comics, games, and merch. Uh, the show had a lasting impact, uh, impact on science and technology. Many inventions and innovations were inspired or uh, influenced by Star Trek devices, such as cell phones, tablets, GPS, mm-hmm. MRI scanners, lasers, oh. holograms, 3D printers, artificial intelligence. Many scientists and engineers cited Star Trek as their inspiration or motivation for their careers. Mm. Wow. So, I mean, it's had a massive impact despite its kind of low popularity when it aired, mm-hmm. which is really, really cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, so after it had its three year run and was canceled, mm-hmm. uh, it took us to the world of animation and they gave us a single season of Star Trek, the animated series. And I'm going to confess, I don't know that I've ever seen it. Your parents owned it. You never watched any of it? I don't recall watching it (laughs) i have seen a couple episodes on youtube that's about it um so it featured all the main cast back to voice their characters which is pretty cool yeah Mm -hmm. it only lasted one season i think there was one cast member it didn't come back i don't remember which one Uh, but it only lasted one season it was considered for a long time to not be canon to the story uh, the recent show, uh, recent shows, the newer Paramount shows, have made references to stories contained within the series, hmm. bringing that non-canon status into question. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's neat that they tried to continue it, and it was supposed to originally be like a continuation, you know, year four or whatever you want to call it, of um, Kirk's Enterprise, and that most of the cast came back. And I think yeah. all the cast was going to come back. I mean, I'm a little... You say He's what you were going to say while He's I look, look at who it was. Oh, I have to think of something to say. Well, you were yeah. about to say something. <laughs> no, I wasn't. <laughs> um, yeah, I just... Uh, I don't know that cartoons would be... Would would it have been as popular? Yeah, you know, and it wasn't. <laughs> cartoon, right. Do, okay, so it was due to budget restraints for the show that they decided not to bring Pavel Chekhov back. Uh, Walter Koenig. Um, and instead he was replaced by an Indosian alien Lieutenant Eriks, who was also voiced by Duhan. So they didn't have to pay him a separate salary. <laughs> so yeah, that's what, uh, that's what happened there. Wow. Just didn't have enough money, but I mean, it's, it's interesting. I think it was, it was supposed to be aimed more towards children. Uh, that was the feel for it anyway, but yeah. but but be adult friendly enough to mm-hmm. be family viewing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, here's some interesting notes about the animated series. It was the first Star Trek series to win an Emmy Award for Outstanding Entertainment Children's Series in 1975. The episode that won was "How Sharper Than a Serpent's Tooth," which featured a powerful alien being who claimed to be the Aztec god. Quetzalcoatl, or no, Quetzalcoatl, I don't know. It was originally conceived as a series about adolescent Starfleet cadets 
who would be mentioned by the uh, mentored rather by the Enterprise crew. However, Gene Roddenberry rejected this idea and insisted that the show would be a faithful continuation of the original series. And he also refused to give up creative control over the show. Uh, it had to cut. Okay, yeah, it was on here already. It was on here already. Oh, okay. Had to cut check off from the series due to budget restrictions. The uh, animation studio Filmation. Uh, could not afford to pay all the original cast members, so they decided to drop Chekhov and replace him with two new characters, Erex, a three-armed alien navigator, and Imres, okay, with, uh, a feline-like alien communications officer. It had Leonard Nimoy's support and intervention. Nimoy was very protective of his character, Spock, and his fellow cast members, so he determined that Nichelle Nichols and George Takei were hired... Um, I'm sorry. He demanded. I need to read better. <laughs> he demanded that Nichelle Nichols and George Takei were hired to voice Uhura and Sulu, respectively. He also helped write and direct some of the episodes, such as Yesteryear, which explored Spock's childhood on Vulcan. It had four episodes that were sequels to the original series episodes. Of course, Yesteryear was one of them, which followed up on The City on the Edge of Forever and Journey to Babel. Mud's Passion, which brought back Harry Mud from Mud's Women and I Mud. More Tribbles, More Troubles, which continued <laughs> the saga of the Tribbles from the Trouble with Tribbles, uh, and the Slaver Weapon, which referenced the Kniti, K-Z-I-N-T-I. How would you pronounce that? Kzinti? Kzinti? Kzinti. From the Man Trap. I don't know. Now, Gene Roddenberry began work on a return of the original cast in live action, a show called phase two. Now the plans for the series were first developed after several failed attempts to create a feature film based on the property coupled with plans for, for a paramount television service. It was going to be the fourth broadcast television network in the United States after NBC, ABC, CBS. It was going to be PTS paramount television service, both PTS and the star Trek revival phase two. Uh, were announced in early June of 1977, with PTS to debut as one evening of programming each Saturday night and to gradually expand to other nights, a strategy successful and successfully employed by the Fox Broadcasting Company a decade later. Star Trek Phase 2 was to be the flagship show, be broadcast at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, followed by a movie of the week at 9 p.m. The initial order was for a two-hour pilot followed by 13-hour-long episodes. With the exception of Leonard Nimoy's Mr. Spock, who had ongoing disputes with Roddenberry and Paramount at the time, the entire regular and recurring cast from the original series were contracted to return, notably William Shatner as Captain Kirk. Three new and younger regular characters were created, Science Officer Lieutenant Zahn, uh, Navigator Lieutenant... Elia? Elia, I bet. Elia. Probably. And uh, ship's executive officer, William Deckard. Willard Decker. I'm mixing up the (laughs) consonants. Star Trek stuff's hard to read, guys. Zahn, Decker, and Ilya were later influential in the development of characters of the next generation. Uh, the two of the with two of the scripts written for Phase Two being redeveloped to be used for the Next Generation series. Oh, that's cool. Ultimately, Paramount's plans for its network and the Star Trek TV return faltered as the low anticipated advertising revenues for the Paramount Television service indicated that it was not viable, and the Paramount Pictures parent company. Uh, Gulf and Western's chairman, Charles Bloodorn, 
uh, refused to back the plan, resulting in the eventual exit of Paramount Chief Executive Officer Barry Diller. <laughs> Bless you. In August of 1977, <laughs> Paramount President Michael Eisner announced internally that the two-hour pilot script was to be the long-sought-after feature film story instead. Mm. So, however, in order to prevent negative publicity, the cancellation of the series and the network was not immediately disclosed, and development of the series and its scripts continued for a further five months, during which time tests were filmed on an incomplete Enterprise set in widescreen format, a clear indication that whatever Star Trek was going to be was not a TV movie. On March 28, 1978, any illusions that Star Trek would be returning to television were ended when Paramount announced that instead of a series, it would be producing what became the big-budget film titled Star Trek The Motion Picture, which was itself a massive reworking of the In Thy Image two-hour movie script. Um, we'll talk all about the movies on Wednesday's show. Mm -hmm. But before we close out the original series, we have to talk about the two fan-made series that worked to finish the five-year mission mm -hmm. of Kirk and his crew. The mm -hmm. first is Star Trek New Voyages, which went by the name Star Trek Phase Two for a little while. Uh, the first episode was released in January of 2004, with new episodes released at a rate of about one per year, with 11 episodes released total. Two of the episodes were nominated finalists for several awards at the Independent Star Trek Fan Film Awards, winning Best Supporting Actor in 2015. Wow. The other series was Star Trek Continues. Now, this series also consists of 11 episodes, uh, so it's released between 2013 and 2017. This series won 49 awards over its run, including Best Fan Feature Film, Best Fan Series, Best Costume Design, Best Director, many, many more, several more than once. So Deidre and I have seen some of these episodes. Uh, in fact, we downloaded them all and put them on DVDs for Deidre's parents as they were collecting all the DVDs of every Star Trek for a mm -hmm. while. Uh, and this... They had started actually collecting DVDs before releasing DVDs in season format was a thing. Right. So all of their original series DVDs were like one or two on a disc in an individual DVD case. Mm -hmm. So it was like a massive thing for their three right. seasons. Mm -hmm. And I'm positive each of those DVDs cost 20 bucks a piece at least. <laughs> so they paid hundreds of dollars to get three seasons. To get three seasons, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, let's see. There's There's been a fairly large community of fan-made Trek mm -hmm. uh, that for a long time was allowed by Paramount under the condition that no profits were made by the projects. So that's why... We were able. They were giving away the files, the video files for Star Trek Continues that we were able they to. They weren't allowed to charge you because they okay. couldn't charge you for it. Yeah. And is this the one? That didn't it's been a long time since we talked about this, but didn't they like have props and stuff from the yes. show? Yeah, that they, they got some of the original props. Yeah, they were they were given yeah. some of the original That's props. Pretty cool. That's um, pretty cool. And they did it fairly. I remember them being fairly true to the original series mm -hmm. like it felt like the real trek it was obvious these weren't the same actors right which right. how are you going to get around that right but they did fairly accurate um representations of them in, mm -hmm. the, in their acting whatever i mean mm -hmm. it was pretty darn good yeah and uh i was i was very impressed by it and mm -hmm. uh, i think it was gene roddenberry's son 
told them that if if my father was alive today, he'd say these were canon to the story. Mm. Like, and that's pretty cool accolade yeah. for them to tout. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say go check that out if you haven't yet. Star Trek continues. If you like mm-hmm. the original series, I bet you like these. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so Paramount would allow these, which was cool. That's cool of them. Uh-huh. Give them the opportunity, uh, as long as there weren't many problems. Now, I think this has changed in recent years. Probably. Um, but this people. did mean that, one, only people who really cared about the project would likely produce anything, because they knew they weren't going to make any money. That's true. And two, it would be free for all Trek fans to enjoy. So that was cool. Mm-hmm. Now, these are the two most well-known but there were others, too. There were a lot, actually. Uh, let me go through a list here. Star Trek uh, Axanar, Star Trek Exeter, Star Trek Secret Voyage, Starship Valiant, Star Trek Eye of the Tempest, Star Trek Intrepid, Star Trek Renegade, Star Trek Patinkman, Battlecruiser Kupak, Redshirt, Star Trek Dark Armada, Star Trek Horizon, Needs of the Many, Starship Farragut, Starship Tristan, The Federation Files, The Adventures of the USS Parkview, Avalon Universe, Temporal Anomaly, Tales from the Neutral Zone, <laughs> To Have Boldly Gone. And that's not even all. Of them. That's just most of the ones that were made between 2015 and 2020 that were nominated for an independent Star Trek fan film award. Wow. Which is... It shows you just how big of a community that is that they even have right. independent Star Trek fan film awards. Right. <laughs> Star Trek has been a fan forward franchise since the beginning. Fans saved it from its first cancellations. Fan brought it back to an animated series. Fans inspired phase two to begin production as a flagship show. Fans even decades later took up the mantle to finish the stories themselves. That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. would fans accept a new generation This week, we are all about the final frontier, talking about all things Star Trek. Today, we're focusing on the Star Trek that was popular during our childhoods, from the late 80s to the early 2000s. Of course, we're starting with the next generation, set in the latter third of the 24th century, when Earth is part of the United Federation of Planets. It follows the adventures of a Starfleet ship, the USS Enterprise, um, the D, Enterprise D, in its exploration of the Alpha Quadrant in the Milky Way galaxy. Uh, There was a huge letter-writing campaign against this show from fans of the original series of Star Trek. Mean. They were demanding the return of the original cast. Demanding it. Mm. Uh, There was an article I saw. Someone posted this, I think, in the LTN group. An article I saw that was talking about the letter-writing campaign. And mm-hmm. it was showing off some of the new cast and what their roles were, uh, except for LeVar Burton. LeVar Burton had it, had, uh, <laughs> instead of what his name, you know, said plays, you know, Jordy LaForge, mm-hmm. whatever, it labeled him the new Spock. I'm like, he's not. Anywhere close to Spock, <laughs> the character. <laughs> if anything, Data's the new Spock, right? Right. <laughs> when it comes to the the, the way the can, the character has his mannerisms and stuff like that, but Jordy, Jordy, not anywhere. I have. I guess because never... he's a science officer, maybe that's why. And they're just like, but he's engineering. Yeah. I don't yeah. Know. I don't know. He would have been. Was he was he always he's... engineering or was he science officer at the beginning? Because I remember at the beginning he had a red shirt. 
yeah. he eventually went to. Yeah, maybe that's so it. Maybe, maybe that's what, maybe what it was. Their goal like, was that? I, think, I don't know. <laughs> he did not come off as the new Spock to I've me. never heard him be described as Spock-like. <laughs> Uh, but of course, wow. yeah, that didn't that didn't come to fruition. Yeah. But uh, I'm glad they didn't listen to the writings because <laughs> I love this generation. Yeah, I do agree with some people that the first couple seasons were just a bit, yeah, tridgy. They had to find their mm-hmm. their it, thing, and it was like there was a mm-hmm. if it felt like there was a massive leap in quality somewhere in the middle of the show. Yeah. Because it still mm-hmm. kind of originally started with a bit of that feel of the original series. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, this is supposed to be the future, but it looks outdated already. Mm-hmm. And I think that gradually got better mm-hmm. throughout the series. Uh, of course, by the time their movies came out. But mm-hmm. um, I remember the, the factoid about the original. I think the I think it was just the first season. They had those really tight one-piece uniforms. Yes. And how it was like causing so many back problems for everybody on, on the cast. Cause it like tied around the bottom of their feet. It was like a, it's like a Halloween costume, essentially, you know, this really, a, a, you know, a tight fitting one piece costume. Right. Cause they wanted it to look like there were no creases. Right. You know, mm-hmm. no creases, no wrinkles in the future. <laughs> so they're like just full tight bodysuits. And, and they then, got rid of those. yeah, yeah. I mean, that was like, um, a thing that Picard did when he got up, he fixed his shirt, you know, mm-hmm. I would that feel like, thing. Yeah, yeah, I'd feel like that would, that wouldn't have existed. You know, <laughs> we went through these onesies and Deanna wore, Deanna wore a, the, the weird purple bodysuit uh-huh, thing. Completely different outfit from anyone else for some reason. I still reason. don't know why, yeah. <laughs> still, I still don't recall them telling us why she didn't just have a normal uniform. Because she eventually had a normal uniform. Yeah, because she was supposed to be the uh, the hot topic. I guess so. <laughs> Don't want to hide. She did eventually get her blue uniform, but it yeah. was like DS9 yeah. era yeah. blue. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't understand. This is, I mean, it's not off topic, but it's off topic for TNG specifically. I don't understand why the uniforms have to be different in every show. Why can't they be roughly the same? I don't get. I don't get the changes. Like, do, uh, like I'm thinking of army uniforms, military. Like, I can think of one time they changed them. Right, right. Or like, uh, I think that was just the battle stuff, like the stuff they wear on the in the in the field. They changed the the camouflage from standard camouflage to it was like a digital pattern now kind of like a pixelated camouflage it still does the same thing but they just updated it to look pixelated because we're in the future now or whatever <laughs> but like i the uh, the standard like uniform uniforms all look the same as they've done in all of history that i can tell you think so? Close enough. I mean, so? they might have changed color design or something. I mean, think but about like, like Britain. The red coats are coming, and well, you know that, that was, I guess. was completely different. I guess. I guess just <sighs> fine. I'm thinking in my <laughs> lifetime. Okay, but from next generation to DS9 to Voyager. Right, right. They're all supposed to be kind of relatively close. Next to generation each other. and Voyager about the same. It's just DS9. I guess I'm making a big problem <laughs> where there's not one. 
No, okay, they were different because the next generation uh-huh. it was the the shirts themselves that had the color, and in Voyager it was the shoulder pads that had the color. Okay, right. and mm-hmm. then in DS Nine it was the undershirt that had the color, and the shirts were all black, and then they had gray shoulder pads, and everybody had the gray shoulder pad, and so you only saw the color in the little right. undershirt, little, little bit. the collar, and uh-huh. the little triangle. Uh-huh. So why? Why do we have to do that? That's a lot. <laughs> That's all my. That's all I was saying. <laughs> <sighs> Too this much. this show was almost canceled after its second season due to low ratings and poor reviews. Uh, however, it was saved by a fan campaign, fan campaign uh, and a syndication deal that gave producers more creative freedom. So it was very similar to how the original series went at the wow. beginning. Uh, so at first, fans wrote in saying don't do it unless it's original and then fans were like no don't take it away we love it (laughs) okay (laughs) maybe we're different fans (laughs) yeah gene roddenberry the creator of star trek did not want patrick stewart to play captain picard because he was bald and british (laughs) he thought that a bald captain would look too old and that a british accent would not fit the role of a french character however stewart impressed roddenberry with his acting skills and charisma and eventually won him over The show introduced several alien races that became iconic in the Star Trek universe, such as the Borg, the Q, mm-hmm. the Ferengi, and the Cardassians. Mm-hmm. Some of these races were inspired by real-world world cultures and historical events. For example, the Borg were based on the idea of the cybernetic collective that assimilates other civilizations similar to the Roman Empire or Nazi Germany. Okay. The Q were based on the Greek gods, who were powerful but capricious beings that interfered with human affairs. The show uh, also featured many famous guest stars, such as Whoopi Goldberg, Leonard Nimoy, James Duhon, Stephen Hawking, Ashley Judd, Kelsey Grammer, <laughs> and Mick Fleetwood. I love Kelsey Grammer. Uh, some of them were fans of the show and requested to appear on it. Uh, so for example, Goldberg asked to play Guinan, uh, the bartender of the Enterprise, because she was inspired by Nichelle Nichols' role as uh, Uhura in the original series. Hawking played himself in a holodeck scene where he played poker with Einstein, Newton, and Data, <laughs> which is cool. That is cool. The show is known for its high-quality writing and storytelling. Some explored uh, complex themes and moral dilemmas. Some of the most acclaimed episodes are The Inner Light, where Picard lives an entire lifetime in another planet mm-hmm. in a matter of minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Best of Both Worlds, where Picard is captured and assimilated by the Borgs. Borgs? Borg? The Measure of a Man, where Data writes... Uh, where Data's rights as a sentient being are put on trial, Mm -hmm. and all good things, where Picard travels through time to prevent a temporal anomaly that threatens all life in the galaxy. Mm -hmm. That was a good one. That was a good ending to that show. I really liked how they pulled that off. Mm -hmm. (sighs) The show was the first and only Star Trek series to win a primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Drama. Uh, It was... I keep saying a lot. I'm trying not to do Mm -hmm. that. It was nominated for the award in 1994, but lost to Picket Fences. Uh, however, it won the award in 1995. I'm just noticing every time I say, oh, now. And now everyone listening is going to notice every time I say this. So I really have to stop because I've pointed it out. Beating out ER, NYPD Blue, Chicago Hope, and The X-Files. Let's move on wow. to the next series. Deep Space Nine, set in the 24th century, where Earth is part of... A United Federation of Planets. Its narrative is centered on the the space station in Deep Space Nine. There's a word here that I don't know how to pronounce. Located adjacent eponymous? 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 
Yeah. It's the name of the station and the show. I think that's what that means. Space <laughs> Nine, located adjacent to a wormhole connecting the Federation territory to the Gamma Quadrant on the far mm-hmm. side of the Milky Way galaxy. Mm-hmm. I am a fan of Deep Space you Nine. You like Deep Space Nine. That's I right. I do. I do. I did like... There was more um, spiritual mm-hmm. stuff. In this right. one, and I liked the that was that was very new. spiritual. That was new to Star Trek, really. Uh-huh. That kind of aspect, like them going to things. church on the station. Yeah, yeah, you know. that was all kind of new stuff. Yeah. And I did like the aspect of it being a intergalactic hub of travelers and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. The Ferengi was a fun Love thing. Cork, I cork, mean, cork, come yeah. on, cork, bar. Yeah. A lot of fun stuff to it. Yeah. And then they did have some really good episodes mm-hmm. that played on other classic stuff. Mm-hmm. The one where Q showed up, that was great. The one where they went back in time to the Trouble with Tribbles episode of the original series. Oh, yeah. yeah. That was really cool. Yeah. The baseball team episode was fun. I like that uh-huh. one. There are some great episodes Within the series that I don't really care for. <laughs> uh, enough that I w- did watch it all with you. Uh-huh. We went through the entire seven seasons. Mm-hmm. And I was pretty satisfied with their ending, too. And their ending was heavily on the spiritual side as well, yeah. as I recall. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But it's just, I don't know. It just doesn't, it seems like a different show to me. It doesn't feel like Star Trek just because... They don't go they out. They don't go. They don't they trek don't the stars. <laughs> They're not trekking. If they ain't trekking, they ain't trekking. <laughs> Their stars um, stay in place. That's what they are. <laughs> they just, um, all the fun came to them. Oh. <laughs> I mean, they, yeah, they, essentially, they, that they, is what it was. They did go out occasionally. Occasionally they, they went out, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but not enough. <laughs> Uh, no, they brought in Worf eventually, right? Yeah. To be on the show. They brought in O'Brien mm-hmm. to be on the show. Two really good additions to the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm glad to see those characters come from Next Generation. When those... Well, O'Brien was from the beginning, wasn't he? I'm close to it, if not If not at, at the, the very beginning. beginning. I'm pretty sure yeah. he was... He, he was, was there quite a while. Was the beginning. Mm-hmm. Worf came about halfway through the show, I believe. Was it as early as halfway? I don't. I don't know. Was it? That. It might not even be. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was seasons four through seven, so it was a little earlier than halfway through. So, yeah. The only thing I didn't, I will say, I didn't like was was Dax changing on us. That's right. I hated that. Yeah. Yeah. I was. I don't know if the actor. I'm, I'm but it was assuming just for the, the actor la- quit or something. It was just for the last season. <laughs> but that made me sad. Yeah, she declined to renew her contract at the yeah. end of the season. Yeah. Um, it was only for the last season, but that was rough. Yeah. Yeah, because I didn't like the new Dax yeah. character. I wasn't a fan of him. Yeah. It was rough. Yeah. It was rough. Mm-hmm. Um, O'Brien, let me see if I can find him. I can't find him. On oh, here. the doctor guy on DS. Doctor guy was good. I liked it him. was okay. Uh-huh. It was all right. I didn't hate him, I didn't love him. So yeah, uh, Miles O'Brien was there from the beginning. Okay, season one. Yeah, I liked O'Brien a lot in mm-hmm. this series. He wasn't 
a huge role in the next generation. Right. He got a little bit more popular towards the end or used more, I guess, towards Mm -hmm. the end. But he wasn't a huge character there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Definitely wasn't one of the main cast. So to have him come over here and be one of the main cast in DS9, I liked that. Yeah, that's cool. And I love Worf. I don't really care for Klingons all that much, the storylines with the Klingons and all that, but Worf himself, fantastic character. Uh, So having him on there was fun. Yeah. Uh, Here's some interesting facts about DS9. The show was originally planned as a Western, the main setting being the frontier outpost on Bajor. Okay. The idea was to make it the rifleman in space with the main character like Chuck Connors. Dr. Bashir, who are you talking about? Mm -hmm. Uh, Actor Alexander Siddig. Uh, was the first choice to play Benjamin Sisko. Oh. But he was too young for the role. He was also the most unpopular character for the first two years, and the <laughs> network wanted to fire him. <laughs> well, he was supposed to be kind of this uh, cocky, I know everything, I'm a genius yeah. kind of yeah. guy. Yeah, I He was supposed that. to not He had loved. to grow on you. Come on. Yeah. He was yeah. Dwight Schrute. Let, let, let him be loved. Let him, yeah. The show was the first Star Trek series to be created without the direct involvement of franchise creator Gene Roddenberry, who died in 1991. It was also the first to have an African-American as a central character. The show's serialized storytelling and darker themes were influenced by the success of Babylon 5, a rival sci-fi show that aired at the same time and had kind of the same premise. Mm-hmm. Some fans accused Deep Space Nine of copying Babylon 5. Uh, but most believe that the show had similar concepts independently. However, one of the original creators of Babylon 5's claims that they took their show to um, CBS or Paramount several years in the past to try and get it started. Oh. And they passed on it and then eventually created something very similar. Mm. So, I don't know. <laughs> The show had many guest stars from other Star Trek series, mm-hmm. such as Leonard Nimoy, Jonathan Frakes, Brent Spinner, Spiner, I don't never know how to pronounce his name. Spiner. Michelle Barrett. Barrett played Loxwana Troy, of course, uh, who was supposed to be a major recurring character, but she had to reduce her appearances due to her husband's death. Hmm. Let's move on to our favorite of this era, <laughs> Voyager. Okay. I love it. Set in the 24th century, when Earth is part of a United Federation of Planets still, it follows the adventures of the Starfleet vessel USS Voyager as it attempts to return home to the Alpha Quadrant after being stranded in the Delta Quadrant on the far side of the Milky Way galaxy. Paramount Pictures commissioned the series following the termination of Star Trek The Next Generation to accompany the ongoing Star Trek Deep Space Nine, and they wanted it to help launch UPN, their newly established network. So this was very similar to the path they were trying to take with uh-huh. Phase 2 uh-huh. uh, Star Trek. They were Paramount finally able to launch their own network, and they wanted a Star Trek series to be their flagship show. Okay. And so, so Voyager did not air on CBS. It aired on UPN to help them establish that network. Okay. Which is also why there might not have been as many fans of it, because a lot of places didn't have UPN. To begin with. Makes sense. It was new. It was new. Uh, So, initial thoughts. This show is fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) I I do. I have a character that I hate. Ooh, who's that? Seska. I... I... But All she's not the episodes around for the whole with time. I was like so done with her. I agree, and I think most people agreed, which is why they got her off of there. I was like, okay, they didn't kill her, right? They just they had her 
abandon the ship and join the villains join a group of yeah villains. but no but then she was like she kept coming back and had this thing with uh yeah but she wasn't there forever it was just like a I'm story to, i think she might have died there was a baby did she eventually die she might i feel die. like she died either way i agree with you Sesco was worse <laughs> <clears throat> but uh the idea of having the idea was fantastic because it was coming out of a battle with the Maquis. That's what it was. Yes. Battle with the Maquis. Mm-hmm. And they wound up having a Maquis crew mm-hmm. merge merge with a Starfleet crew. Mm-hmm. They were bitter enemy enemies. Then they wound up stranded together on the Delta Quadrant through the whole weird uh, slingshot storyline that mm-hmm. you'll, you know, we don't have time to go into here. <laughs> <laughs> And had to join together as one crew. Mm-hmm. I think that story was fantastically mm-hmm. done. And how it wasn't just an easy, easy thing. How mm-hmm. there were factions and both sides were, you know, independent of each other for a long time. Long stretch of episodes. How they had to spend that first season essentially learning how to be one crew. Right. So they could survive. Mm-hmm. Was fantastic. And they had some... Not so nice Maquis people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the the murderer guy. <laughs> the, uh... He became very nice. <laughs> Thanks to Tuvok. <laughs> and uh, yeah. I think it was a fantastic premise to start the show with. Mm-hmm. And then the fact that they were cut off from a lot of their power sources. And so they had to not use replicators as much. They had to not rely on a lot of the comforts. Yeah. That you would have. Yeah, they had to the starship, have a starship. kitchen and yeah, eat gross food eat all Neelix's the time. Neelix's cooking. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they had rations for what they could use for their uh, replicator. Uh-huh. Like how many times they could right. use it? Yeah. <clears throat> uh huh. Catherine Janeway used it on coffee uh-huh. all the time. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> There's that famous line where they see a nebula that's got. Some of the stuff that can power oh, yeah. the the replicators are like, there's coffee in that nebula. <laughs> they had like a whole, they had a completely different system, right? Like if you get into the science of it, they had the gel packs and it was like a completely. It was like a living thing. A bio yeah. something or other network. Like they could get yeah. sick. The gel packs yeah, could get so sick. Yeah, so like that often weird... they had to, yeah. Figure out what was going on with the gel packs. And, mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it wasn't just about reversing the polarity. And to heal the living gel packs. <clears throat> uh, also, midway through the series, we had Seven of Nine join, mm-hmm. which is a essentially a rescued Borg. Right. Yeah. And it was the first time that they had ever been able to try and pull one from the collective and give them back individuality. Mm-hmm. So that became... Mm-hmm. A very fun uh, story arc mm-hmm. toward the back half. Mm-hmm. You can see that growth. And they had, I mean, the doctor. Oh, the, oh gosh, on. the best doctor <laughs> of all the series. The emergency medical hologram. <laughs> Played by Picardo, whatever his name is. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. his name? Yeah. Robert Picardo, yeah. He did so good mm-hmm. in that role. Mm-hmm. It was always so yeah. fun. Yeah. <clears throat> and to see him grow 
into like his own person, <laughs> even though he is a, a, a completely holographic individual uh-huh. that's not supposed to grow and learn. Yep. See him like sing and put on performances and all kinds of stuff and <laughs> his eternal quest to pick a name and then he yeah. picks Bob. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, getting the, getting the, going, they went into the future slightly into the future and he was able to acquire the portable emitter, mobile emitter. emitter. So he could wear that and get out of the, the, uh, med bay. Uh That was really cool. Yeah. The Uh emergency command hologram (laughs) scenario was really cool (laughs) where he activated it. And it just popped on four pins on his collar automatically. <laughs> Command the ship. Activate the emergency. I remember, command. Right. I remember that first season was about um, him trying to get, like, if I'm going to be the doctor, give me the ability to turn myself off. On and off. Because yeah. people just kept leaving and mm-hmm. not dis- deactivating the emergency medical mm-hmm. Oh, such a good show. I got, I got to watch it again. It was so good. Uh, and then we had um, Neelix uh-huh. mm-hmm. and Tess, right? Tess was mm-hmm. the girl. I didn't like Neelix at first, but he grew on me. You didn't like Neelix at first? I liked Neelix at first. I didn't yeah. like Tess at first. Tess was weird. Yeah. This was weird and quiet, and I didn't like it. <laughs> but then her story got nuts, and that was pretty cool. They did a lot of Borg stuff, which I love the Borg. Uh-huh. Borg's my favorite mm-hmm. villain I mean, of the series. That's the quadrant the Borg were from, from yeah. right? Yeah. That was really neat. So it was all really about evading them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they did a lot of time travel stuff mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. series, which I also love when Star Trek gets into time travel stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, it, it had it had everything. And then we had, of course, Tom Paris, Harry Kim, Belana Torres, mm-hmm. all of those. They felt like the... Um, the Scrubs actors to me. They, they felt like this was JD, Turk, and uh, Turk's, Turk's girlfriend. I don't remember her name now. Um, but yeah, this, that was the dynamic that yeah. it felt like. Mm-hmm. This was, mm-hmm. These were the friends. This right. was the friend yeah. group that she wanted to hang out with. It they did the, get to develop lots of. Kess, not friendship. Tess. Kess. Kess. <clears throat> Sorry. She was a compin. Yeah. Uh, who lived only like seven years or something like that. It's like yeah. a dog, dog's life. Like it was very short. Yeah. Yeah. When she came on, she was, she was two only. Right. She was, she was one, or I one think. Or, and she, one or two. They, I think she had her second, had her second birthday. birthday. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. <sighs> uh, yeah. So I, um, it's hard for me to think of anything I didn't really like about the show. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Species eight four seven two. I mean that was that was scary stuff, man. <laughs> Back then, that was some scary junk. Yeah, the newer yeah. shows have gotten you know have had more creepier episodes with disgusting yeah. stuff now. But just why I don't want to watch them. But back then, it was like, oh boy, that's a scary yeah. species right there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, that was probably the first like creepy things I watched, but still enjoyed. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> like I still wanted to watch it. So the original yeah. actress. Uh, who was cast as Captain Janeway, quit mm-hmm. after two days of filming. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, she was supposed to play the first female captain in Star Trek history. She found the workload too demanding and left the show. So Kate Mulgrew replaced her and became the iconic leader of the Voyager crew. Tom Paris, the pilot of Voyager, was played by the same actor who portrayed a Starfleet cadet who lied about a fatal accident in Star Trek The Next Generation. Robert Duncan McNeil played both Tom Paris and Nicholas Locarno, who had huh? uh, similar backgrounds and personalities. The producers wanted to use the Locarno character, but they could not, for some reason, get the rights to Locarno, so they had to create Paris instead. Oh. So it's essentially the same character. But they weren't allowed to say that. They just that. weren't able to use the name. <laughs> Uh, did you know that one of the guest stars on Voyager was a real-life king? Really? In our world, yes. Ooh. King Abdullah II of Jordan, who was a big Star Trek fan, appeared as an unnamed ensign in an episode called Investigations. He had a brief scene with Neelix, the ship's cook. Huh. Okay. Cool. <laughs> Just, hey, this king over here from Jordan really likes the show and he wants to be in it for the Okay. Q, the omnipotent trickster, showed up several times on Voyager, once with yes. his son, who was played by John DeLance's real son. Really? I didn't know that. Wow. That's cool. Seven of Nine was introduced as the fourth season to give Janeway a foil. The producers felt that the Voyager lacked a uh, Spock-like character who could challenge Janeway's decisions and provide a different perspective. Tuvok who was a Spock-like character, mm -hmm. rarely disagreed with her. Yeah, that's which true. Which was different from Spock and Kirk. They often right. had disagreements. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so Seven of Nine, a former Borg drone who was rescued by Voyager, filled that role instead. Mm. All right, last show for the day, Star Trek Enterprise. Set in the 22nd century, 100 years before the events of the original series, it follows the adventures of the Enterprise, Earth's first starship capable of traveling at warp five as it explores the galaxy and encounters various alien species. I... I liked the Enterprise, but I hated how it ended. <laughs> I liked the Enterprise, and I didn't mind how it ended. <laughs> I didn't love the Enterprise, though. It was not my favorite, and I guess that's why I wasn't as invested in how it ended as most people were. Like, yeah. it didn't bother me. I felt like, yeah, it might as well end this way. That's how it felt. <laughs> 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 I didn't... I couldn't get super into it. I don't know why. I couldn't connect with the characters as much as I have on other Star Trek shows. Yeah. It just never, never yeah. happened to me. I like Trip. I loved Archer. Archer was great. T'Pol mm -hmm. was okay. Mm -hmm. I don't really remember any of the other ones, <laughs> any of the other actors in that <laughs> show. So that tells you how connected I was to them. Yeah, I'm trying to think of some, too. <laughs> T'Pol like, and Trip and Archer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah. let's have some facts about this. The original okay. title of the show was simply Enterprise. I don't know if you remember that. It didn't come with the prefix of Star Trek oh. originally. It was just called Enterprise. Uh, this was They did uh, that initially to attract new viewers who might not be familiar with the franchise. Oh. So like, don't tell them it's Star Trek <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, however, after low ratings in the first two seasons, the producers decided to add Star Trek back to the title for the third season. Uh, like, wait, we need you, Trek fans. <laughs> wait, it is Star Trek. We promise. <laughs> the theme song, which was completely different oh, yeah. from all other Star Treks. It was not this cool, spacey, orchestral the, thing. The, it was Where My Heart Will Take Me, performed by Russell Watson, a British singer who was known as The Voice in his country. Mm -hmm. The song was originally written by Diane Warren for the movie Patch Adams and was sung by Rod Stewart. 
this was the first Star Trek theme song to have lyrics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The show's main ship, the Enterprise NX-01, was designated by Doug Drexler, a designed, I said designated, designed by Doug Drexler, a veteran Star Trek artist who had worked on previous series and movies. He based his design on sketches by John Eaves, who had designed the Enterprise E for Star Trek First Contact. The NX-01 was meant to look like a precursor to the original Enterprise from the original series, but with a more rugged and industrial appearance. And I think they accomplished that. Mm -hmm. I like the way the NX-01 looked. Mm -hmm. Me too. The show's main characters were inspired by various historical figures and real-life people. For example, Captain Jonathan Archer was named after Jeffrey Hunter's character Christopher Pike uh, from the original named after? It says named after. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, I think inspired by his <laughs> character, Christopher Pike from the original series, The Cage. He was also influenced by Charles Lindbergh, uh, the first person to fly solo across the Atlantic Ocean. Commander Charles Tripp Tucker III was named after astronaut Charles Pete Conrad, who was the third person to walk on the moon. <clears throat> Subcommander T'Pol was named after T'Pau a Vulcan leader from the original series episode, Amok Time. She was also modeled after Catherine Zeta-Jones, who was considered for the role before Jolene Blalock was cast. Catherine Zeta-Jones. Yeah. <laughs> Can you imagine <laughs> if Catherine Zeta-Jones took that role? Michael Scott would be a fan. Yes. <laughs> Starship Midnight. Uh, controversial ending. All right. So let's yes. talk about it. Yes. They decided to make the final episode of Enterprise an episode of The Next Generation. Mm-hmm. So it was set aboard Enterprise D. Mm-hmm. It was largely following Riker and Troy as they relived through the holodeck mm-hmm. elements from that show, which already that episode was a leap forward in time a couple years. Right? Right. Because it was, it was, it was, we were in the fourth year of them, of the show, rather, uh, doing their normal business about in space, mm-hmm. nowhere near the end of their time. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly, leap forward, their time is over uh, in space, like in XO1's being decommissioned or whatever. Right. Right. Archer's giving this big speech. Yeah. Yeah. And it was it was just too too much fast forward to me, and I would have felt better them just somehow because I know they were building this big storyline and it got canceled, right? Like yeah, the show some, got canceled, and they had some to big build up that scramble. Yeah, but I feel like they could have. I don't know. They could have even like just ignored that weird storyline and done a great episode with the characters. And just let it go out. Like a final nice episode or quickly resolved the storyline that was obviously going to take a lot longer. Yeah. I don't know. It's It, it <laughs> was... I liked it simply because it was a time... Not not the time jump, but the time that it, like it's it was... Next generation people going back in time and examining familiar faces. I liked that aspect of it. Yeah. I know most people, including you, did not. Mm -hmm. And I know that I'm in the minority and that's okay. (laughs) I didn't mind it. And I was kind of happy to see Riker. So, (laughs) (laughs) but I get it. It wasn't the ending everybody wanted. 
Yeah. But that is kind of the end of Star Trek TV for a long time. This week, we're taking a look at the legacy of Star Trek. Today, we're leaping into the big screen and taking a look at the movies. Now, there are mm-hmm. a lot of these, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. 13 of these. So mm-hmm. we're going to we're gonna plow through this section as fast as we can. We're going to start with the original series cast movies. It began with Star Trek The Motion Picture. The 23rd century, a Starfleet monitoring station, Epsilon 9, detects an alien entity hidden in a massive cloud of energy moving through space toward Earth. The cloud easily destroys three Klingon warships and Epsilon 9 on its course. On Earth, the Starship Enterprise is undergoing a major refit. Its former commanding officer, James T. Kirk, has been promoted to Admiral. Starfleet Command assigns Enterprise to intercept the cloud entity as the ship is the only one within range requiring its new systems to be tested in transit. Um, Kirk is on the ship when this call comes in, and he basically takes command. Right. Which the original <sighs> captain did not like. Uh, but that's that's how it went. That's how yeah, it goes. Yeah, yeah. I always thought that was funny. It's just like... <laughs> well, you know what? I'm a captain now. I know what to do better than you, so... This movie was slow. Yeah. Just the when they were going around the ship showcasing the refit, it was like five minutes of nothing. <laughs> the slow motion. Uh, someone worked really hard on that, on that mini, and they on that minifig. They wanted to show it off. Yes, <laughs> it was it was a fine start to the movie franchise, but it wasn't a great movie. Yeah, it wasn't a great movie. yeah. The movie had a troubled production with multiple script rewrites, budget overruns, and a tight deadline. The director, Robert Wise, was editing the film until the last minute, and he was not satisfied with the final cut. Hmm. The movie introduced new uniforms for the crew, which were drab, unisex, and uncomfortable. Many of the actors disliked them, especially Nichelle Nichols, who felt that they did not suit her character. The uniforms were changed in the subsequent films to be more colorful and distinctive again. Hmm. The movie featured some of the most advanced visual effects of the time and were nominated for an Academy Award. However, some of the effects were unfinished or flawed, such as the matte lines around the Enterprise and the Klingon ships. The movie had max mixed reception from critics and fans who praised its visual spectacle, but criticized its slow pace and lack of character development. Some even nicknamed it the slow motion picture <laughs> or the motionless picture. Uh, however, the movie was a box office hit, grossing $139 million worldwide. So this led to the second film in the Star Trek film series and a sequel to the original series episode, uh, Space Seed. This was... Um, the Wrath of Khan, Star Trek The Wrath of Khan. Yep. Plot features Admiral James T. Kirk and the crew of the Starship USS Enterprise facing off against the genetically engineered tyrant Khan Noonien Singh, uh, played by Ricardo Montalban. Uh, when Khan escapes from the 15-year exile to exact revenge on Kirk, the crew of the Enterprise must stop him from acquiring a powerful terraforming device named Genesis. The film is the beginning of a three-film story arc that continues with the film Star Trek III, The Search of Spock, and concludes with the film Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home. In Search for Spock, after the death of Spock at the end of the second movie, mm-hmm. the crew of the USS Enterprise returns to Earth, where James C. Kirk learns that Spock's spirit, or Katra, is held in the mind of Dr. Leonard McCoy. Kirk and the company steal the decommissioned USS Enterprise to return Spock's body to his homeworld. The crew must also contend with hostile Klingons led by Krudge. Krudge? Krug? 
Ruby, <laughs> played by Christopher Lloyd, uh, who uh, who are bent on stealing the secrets of the powerful terraforming device Genesis. And then finally, in Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, intent on returning home to Earth to face trial for their actions in the previous film, the former crew of the USS Enterprise finds a planet uh, in grave danger from an alien probe attempting to contact now-extinct humpbacked whales. The crew travel to Earth's past to find whales who can answer the probe's call. Whew. That's a three-movie arc there. Yeah. I liked this arc, mm-hmm. but mainly for the final movie. Yeah. I'd agree with Voyage that. Voyage Home was really fun. Mm-hmm. Traveling yeah, back in time. The only thing about the con. To early 90s. Con. Con. <laughs> um, shaking yes. the desk here. <laughs> well, he was shaking the screen when he did it. <laughs> uh, Search for Spock was yeah. all right. Mm-hmm. It was forgettable. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a reason why the the idea behind... Or not the idea, but there's a reason why there's like a saying that we don't talk about the odd number Star Trek movies. Because <laughs> for some reason, the odd number Star Trek movies are the bad ones. And the even ones are the good ones. That's just how it's been going this whole time. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> but I did like Voyage Home a lot. Yeah, I think it was fun. Yeah. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. very environmental message, of course. And Yeah. Um, but getting to go back in time. Maybe we did save the humpback whales because there's a bunch of them now. Right, but, yeah. <laughs> maybe it was their fault. Uh, here's some fun facts about the three movies. Uh, the actor who played Khan, Ricardo Montalban, had a hard time reprising his role from the original series Space Seed episode. Uh, he was busy with uh, his other famous role on Fantasy Island, and he had to fly back and forth between sets. He also had to wear a wig and a fake chest <laughs> so he could mm-hmm. look younger and stronger. I remember learning that. <laughs> yeah. Rather Khan has a, had a budget of only $12 million, which was down from $44 million in the first movie. Wow. Uh, Search for Spock's budget was even lower, which forced the filmmakers to reuse some sets and props from other movies and shows. For example, the Klingon Bird of Prey was originally a Romulan ship from the original series. Hmm. Star Trek IV used robotic whales instead of real ones because it was too difficult to film actual humpback whales the whales were so realistic though that some activists criticized the movie for endangering them (laughs) uh four was the movie uh was nominated for four academy awards including best cinematography best original score best sound editing best sound mixing it was the first star trek movie to receive an any oscar nominations uh the movie was a huge box office success grossing over 133 million dollars worthwide and it was the highest grossing star trek movie until the 2009 Star Trek reboot surpassed it. Wow. So, yeah. Four was really popular. Hmm. Then we have the final two Kirk era movies. Star Trek V, The Final Frontier, follows the crew of the USS Enterprise A as they confront renegade Vulcan Cybok, who is searching for God at the center of the galaxy. And Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, the destruction of the Klingon moon Praxis leads the Klingon Empire to pursue peace with the long-time, with their longtime adversary, the Federation. The crew of the Federation starship USS Enterprise must race against unseen conspirators with a militaristic agenda through mm-hmm. the movie. Both of these are kind of forgettable for me. Yeah. I remember... I remember, I think the sixth movie had the fan dance scene that Uhura did to distract uh, people while the rest of the crew snuck in a base or something. Okay. That's all I remember. (laughs) (laughs) 
Like this is, Her I remember thinking, fans. not not even so much that I was like entertaining. I'm just like, this is really weird. <laughs> <laughs> like, why is this still a thing in the future? Fan dancing? That's a future thing that people do? Maybe <clears throat> not. And that's why it distracted them. Maybe. They're like, like, what is this? <laughs> She's embarrassing herself. <laughs> Uh, Star Trek V was directed by William Shatner himself, who also came up with the original story idea. Hmm. Okay. Uh, he was inspired by the rise of televangelism in the 1980s and wanted to explore the concept of meeting God in outer space. Okay. The movie had troubled production with budget cuts, script changes, technical difficulties. One of the most notable problems was the failure of the Rockmen, animatronic creatures that were supposed to appear in the climax of the film. They looked so unconvincing that they were cut from the final version. Wow. Uh, five was widely regarded as the worst Star Trek film. Still is regarded as the worst Star Trek film. Uh, Star Trek Six fared a little better, widely considered one of the best Star Trek movies. The movie was inspired by the end of the Cold War and the fall of the Berlin Wall and used the Klingons as a metaphor for the Soviet Union. The mm -hmm. title of the movie comes from the quote of Shakespeare's Hamlet, The Undiscovered Country, from whom's born no traveler returns. Let's move on to the TNG era, starting with Star Trek Generations, which was a passing of the torch from mm -hmm. Kirk to Picard. Mm -hmm. uh, the film begins in the 23rd, 23rd century, where Captain Kirk, Scotty, and Chekhov are guests on the new Enterprise B. They witness a mysterious energy ribbon called the Nexus, which traps two refugee ships inside. Kirk sacrifices himself to save the refugees and the Enterprise, but is presumed dead. Mm -hmm. Film then shifts to the 24th century, where Captain Picard and the crew of the Enterprise D are investigating a distress call from an observatory. They encounter a renegade scientist named Soren, who is obsessed with entering the Nexus himself. Soren has allied with the Klingons to destroy stars and planets in order to alter the course of the Nexus. Picard mm -hmm. learns that Soren was one of the refugees rescued by Kirk and that he experienced a blissful state inside the Nexus that he wanted to return to. Picard tries to stop Soren from destroying a star system that contains millions of lives, but fails. He is transported into the Nexus himself, where he meets Kirk, who is still alive. Together, they leave the Nexus and confront Soren on a nearby planet. They manage to stop Soren's plan, but Kirk dies in the process. Picard buries Kirk and returns to his ship, where he resumes his duty as captain. Generations, what are your thoughts? I really liked the movie, and I loved that it was the two captains that mm -hmm. got to work together. Yeah. So this was the very first thing I ever saw of Star Trek. Okay. okay. My very first meeting. I knew it was a movie. Mm -hmm. I couldn't remember which one. It's Generations. <laughs> I knew who Captain Kirk and Captain Picard were. Uh -huh. Uh huh. Like I'd seen the characters, usually in magazines and stuff. Right. But I hadn't gotten into Star Trek yet. This was my first introduction to it. Saw it in theaters and everything. It was great. <laughs> and that's how I became a Trekkie. Uh, not a lot of people love this movie. It's not one of the most um, popular movies. It's an odd-numbered Star Trek movie. Hmm. But uh, most people at least see it as a necessity. Like, it's it's part of the story you have to watch. Like, hmm. you can't skip it. The film features the first appearance of the USS uh, Enterprise, D, Enterprise D's Captain's Yacht, a small auxiliary craft that is attached to the underside of the saucer portion. The yacht is named uh, Cousteau, after the famous French explorer and filmmaker Jacques Cousteau. Uh, like I said, reception was pretty split down the middle. Mm -hmm. um, this brings us to the other three, though, TNG movies. Mm -hmm. Star Trek First Contact, 
Mm-hmm. In this film, the cybernetic Borg attempt to conquer Earth by preventing first contact between humans and the Vulcans, but their plans are thwarted by the crew of the USS Enterprise who follow them back to mid-21st century. Star Trek Insurrection, in the film, the crew of the USS Enterprise E rebels against Starfleet after they discover a conspiracy with a species known as the Son-A uh, to steal the peaceful Baku's planet for its rejuvenating properties. And then Star Trek Nemesis, uh, in this film, which is 7th, 24th century, the crew of the USS Enterprise E are forced to deal with a threat to the United Federation of Planets from a clone of Captain Picard named Shinzon who has taken control of the Romulan Star Empire in a coup d'etat. Coup d'etat, isn't it? It's coup d'etat. Okay. Isn't it? Coup d'etat? I thought it was. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) those three movies. First Contact is my It's so good. That's my favorite. It's my second favorite. (laughs) It's so good. It's such a good movie. I mean, it's got all the timey things. Best one of the the next generation. I mean, fun characters. It was real good. Yeah. Real, real good. I loved it so much. And we got to see uh, Jordy's eyes. Yeah. That That weren't just white blobs. (laughs) Saw them as white blobs in the past. Yeah. Uh, insurrection, garbage fire. Yeah, <laughs> so not a fan bad. of that one. Not a fan. Of very that. bad, very bad movie. That's the one with the weird skin people. Right? That was the one. With yeah. The, yeah, the stretchy skin people. Yeah, mm, it was like gross. that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Star Trek Nemesis. I I didn't hate it. Yeah. Well, and great. Yeah. I didn't hate it. It was all right. wasn't Wasn't terrible. Wasn't the, terrible. Yeah, the clone thing was kind of weird. Clone thing was weird. Yeah. Um, let's see here. First Contact is largely considered to be the best TNG era movie, uh, of course. Fun fact, the original script for the movie was called Star Trek Renaissance, and it took place during the Renaissance period, not mid-21st century. The Borg had their collective in a castle dungeon, and Data became Leonardo da Vinci's apprentice, which would later be used in Voyager. Okay. You know? uh, mm-hmm. However, this idea was scrapped because it felt too kitschy. Insurrection, mixed reviews. Uh, apparently, a lot of people didn't think it was terrible, but it was just very slow. Mm-hmm. Most considered it more like an extended episode of the show rather than being a movie-worthy storyline. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mm-hmm. movie featured a cameo by Star Trek creator Gene Roddenberry's son, Rod Roddenberry. What a name. Oh. As a Sona officer. Nemesis got mostly negative reviews. It had a budget of $60 million. It only made $67 million back. It was the final movie uh, for the TNG series, and that was the plan going in. The farewell scene in Picard's ready room was so emotional that Stuart unintentionally started crying, and they had to reshoot it, (laughs) which is sad. So let's move on to the reboot series now. Uh, They keep calling it a reboot. It's not really a reboot. It's a (laughs) reboot-esque. It's reboot in the fact that it's new new actors playing the characters. Right. But it's still one storyline. You know what I mean? Right. Reboots are like, we're going back and we're just starting it over. And that's kind of what happened here, but it's also not. Yeah. Because yeah. it's, well, we'll get into it. 
Star Trek, the film follows James C. Kirk, played by Chris Pine now, and Spock, played by Zachary Quinto, aboard the USS Enterprise, fresh out of Starfleet Academy. They combat Nero, a Romulan from their future who threatens the United Federation of Planets. The story takes place in an alternate reality that features both an alternate birth location for James T. Kirk and the future alterations in history stemming from a time travel the time travel of both Nero and the original series Spock, Leonard Nimoy. Mm -hmm. The alternate reality was created in an attempt to free the film and the franchise from established continuity constraints while simultaneously preserving original story elements. So it's like that whole, um, like comic books, you know, they kind of do a reboot e kind of thing. Well, in comic oh. books, they usually do a reboot by creating a... Yeah, I mean, a different universe. Yeah. That's the multiverse thing that they do right, there. Right. They're like, well, we want to tell a different story multiverse. of Spider-Man. Yeah. So this is the ultimate Spider-Man universe. Completely different universe. Yeah. Not bound by your current canon of, of yeah. you know, Spider-Man in the original timeline. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they do that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Comics have to do that kind of thing because they have to tell so many different stories. Yeah. And keep their characters alive somehow. Well, look at all of, <laughs> look at all the different Star Trek stuff and all the different Yeah. Um so Star Trek wise, that's uh that's what they did here. They wanted to go back they wanted a reboot, but they didn't want to cancel out anything that happened in the past. Right. Um, so we'll talk about that a little bit more in a minute. Here's the other two movies. Star Trek Into Darkness, set in the 23rd century. The film follows Kirk and crew of the USS Enterprise as they are sent to the Klingon homeworld seeking a former Starfleet member turned terrorist, John Harrison, who, spoiler alert, turns out to be Khan Noonien Singh. Mm. So this is... People often compare this to The Wrath of Khan, but this is not The Wrath of Khan, and this is not that same story. Mm -hmm. This is something that wound up happening way earlier in Khan Noonien Singh's timeline. This is even kind of before Space Seed, the episode. Like, this is retelling Khan, uh, Khan's first, you know, appearance, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Star Trek Beyond, this film follows the adventures of Kirk and crew as they explore an uncharted space beyond the Federation where the ship, the USS Enterprise, is attacked and destroyed by a swarm of alien ships led by the ruthless Krall. They find themselves stranded on a hostile planet called Ultimid. Uh, with the help of a rebellious alien warrior named Jayla, they must reunite, recover an ancient uh, weapon called the Abranath, and stop Krall from unleashing a deadly threat that could destroy the Federation and its ideals. I don't right. remember that one. You don't remember it? It had the, like the, the lady that was like all white and like black face paint. You remember her? Mm -mm. Maybe you never watched that. Did you never watch it? I watched I'm it. wondering. I know I watched like the first two. Did it also have Chris Pine? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it was the same, same, same cast. I don't know. Maybe you didn't watch it. I don't it. know if I watched that one. Well, either way, uh, first movie. I really liked. I really liked. The first one, yeah. Second one was good. Uh, I didn't like that they like they killed off Vulcan, right? Completely destroyed Spock's story. That was in the first movie. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah that was the that was the the catalyst. That was the reason. Yeah. That Nero came back because they had destroyed Romulus, or had not prevented Romulus from being destroyed, or something. Either way, Romulus was gone, and so he was coming back in time to. Destroy Vulcan. Vulcan like, and it was specifically 
He had a he had a beef with Spock, right? Yes, yes, yeah, okay. It was Spock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was Spock was on the the uh, a council or something with Romulans, and like uh-huh. they were trying to reach some sort of agreement that because they didn't, it caused the destruction of Romulus. So some some crazy stuff. So he blamed Spock entirely. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it was about that. Yeah. Uh, and yep. so I thought that I thought that that was really cool because it was, again, what we're saying, it was preserving previous timelines. So it's like, it's like in Endgame, in Avengers Endgame, when they're explaining time travel. It's mm-hmm. like how the Hulk said, <laughs> going to the past, changing something in the past doesn't change the future. It creates a new timeline. Gotcha. And so you can't change what's already happened in the past and that become your new future because you've already lived this. So everything that happened in Star Trek happened all the way up to past all the series to then there's the destruction of Romulus and Nero Mm -hmm. finds a way to go back in time. And that timeline continues. It's just going backwards now in a new form. And we're starting a brand new timeline where he shows up. And it splits off of the original timeline. So basically, we get to that point right before Nero shows up with the destruction, I believe, of the... Um, what was the ship? One of the ships. He destroys... The, it was the Kelvin. That's why it was. That's why it's called the Kelvin timeline. Mm-hmm. He destroys the Kelvin. That's the first thing he does when he first appears. And mm-hmm. that changes all these things about what we know about Star Trek lore. And that's the new timeline. And so the timeline in the Star Trek goes that way, this way, and that way. But it's still one timeline. <laughs> okay. Yeah, right. That's how it goes. Yeah, right. But the original timeline of Star Trek, prior, pr- uh, after Nero leaves, that still continues on without any effect from Nero. That's how that works. So that original timeline continues on. None of the stuff happening in the Kelvin timeline affects the future either. That's how it works. All right. That's science. <laughs> I'm sure it is. <laughs> and just like sure you're <laughs> just like you're looking at me with that skepticism, a lot of people can't grasp it. And so a lot of people were getting upset at the changes to the original storyline mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. Kirk and Spock. I mean, I see what you're telling me, but also he <laughs> destroyed Vulcan and But Vulcan's not destroyed in any of the future Star Trek stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. It's still there. But now when we like watch a movie or watch a show, which timeline are we watching? Only which the background? movies are in the Kelvin. There's no TV show that's that's in the Kelvin timeline as of yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right. Fun fact. Quinto, Zachary Quinto, had trouble doing the Vulcan salute, uh, which is the gesture, you know, with the finger split in the two pairs. Mm-hmm. He had to use glue to keep his fingers together <laughs> for some of the scenes. There are some people that just can't do that. And that's really weird. I've never had a problem Right. Doing that, that, that motion. They always do that. They do the die young and amount to nothing. One. (laughs) 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 Into Darkness was also well received, just a little less popular than the first. Uh, This is where we kind of break out of the odd number Star Trek movies being a problem. Yeah. Um, Into Darkness did introduce things that made no sense. These are the ones that are kind of like, okay, well, this can't be explained by time travel like Khan has the uh, technology to transport himself across the universe that's not a thing that happened back then that they could do right 
And mm-hmm. uh, there was also a bit of uproar about the movie because they cast the very white Benedict Cumberbatch to play the role of the canonically Eurasian Khan. Oh. <laughs> it was Ricardo Montalban before, and now it's one of the whitest men in Hollywood. <laughs> and so people were kind of upset about that. And so that got a little bit of backlash and probably diminished its return a bit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, fun fact, the library bombed by John Harrison in Star Trek Into Darkness is the Kelvin Memorial Library, named after the USS Kelvin, which was destroyed in the early moments of Star Trek. Mm. Uh, Beyond was received about on par with Into Darkness. Some were critical that it was a lot slower paced. One reviewer called it uh, Star Trek Into Drowsiness compared to the last fast-paced film. Uh, (laughs) The movie was released in 2016, which marked the 50th anniversary of the Star Trek TV series that started in in 1966. The fourth movie, a fourth movie with this storyline has been teased and hinted at now for several years. There still doesn't seem to be any traction on it, Mm. but most involved insist it's still happening. Mm. The last movie we need to mention today (laughs) is one of uh, the best Star Trek movies, (laughs) but it's not a Star Trek movie. It's a galaxy quest starring Tim (laughs) Allen, Alan Rickman, Sam Rockwell, Sigourney Weaver, and a lot more. It was a love letter to Star Trek in so many ways. (laughs) Isn't it one of the best movies ever? Tell me yeah. I'm wrong. I I love it. It's such a good movie. <laughs> so good. Uh, if this movie somehow escaped you, you oh. need to find it and enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Even Patrick Stewart said this about the film. He said, I had not originally wanted to see Galaxy Quest because I heard that it was making fun of Star Trek. And then Jonathan, Jonathan Frakes rang me up and said, you must not miss this movie. See it on a Saturday night in a full theater. And I did, and of course I found it was brilliant. Brilliant. Now, no one laughed louder or longer in the cinema than I did. But the idea that the ship was saved and all of our heroes in the movie were saved simply by the fact that there were fans who did understand the scientific principles on the ship worked uh, how the ship worked was absolutely wonderful and it was both funny and also touching and that it paid tribute to the dedication of these fans. It really is. That was a love letter movie Yeah, to the fans of Star Trek. Yeah. I mean, how, how awesome would it be that, you know, you've been be playing real. this character. <laughs> yeah. And, Space and then you find out it's real. You know that's cool. Please, need your help. <laughs> By Grapthar's hammer. And I <sighs> loved the whole. You know, what's your role on this ship with the female actor? You know. <laughs> I repeat the computer. I have one job. It's stupid, but I'm going to do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then, of course, Guy, Sam Rockwell's Guy, being the one that gets killed off in one of the episodes, being oh, essentially yeah. a red shirt, uh-huh. terrified of dying the entire right, movie. Right, <laughs> we're doing, We're doing this episode. I died. <laughs> I died in episode 41. <laughs> and they had a rock monster. They did. Which they tried to have in Star Trek V, and they didn't work out. I really wonder if that was... It's quite possible. I didn't know that. A tribute to that, yeah. Very possible. Mm -hmm. This week, we are talking all about the world of Star Trek. And we've covered 
everything from Star Trek's past, mm -hmm. but today we're looking at the current era of Trek streaming shows. Now, all of these shows have been exclusive to Paramount+, Plus, including the first show on our list, which was the launch title for the streaming service, uh, Star Trek Discovery. Mm -hmm. Again, continuing with that idea of every time Paramount is launching something new, they want Star Trek to be the flagship show, mm -hmm. which I think is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, the series for Discovery that follows the crew of the Starship Discovery beginning a decade before Star Trek, the original series in the 23rd century. At the end of the second season, they travel to the 32nd century, which is the setting for the rest of the show. It focuses on Michael Burnham, a human raised by Vulcans and the adopted sister of Spock, who begins as a prisoner of Starfleet, then a science specialist on Discovery who eventually becomes captain. It's not a typical story or a typical Trek show, mm -hmm. uh, and this has caused a lot of fan backlash. Uh, some of the issues with how much more some of the issues are how much more advanced the Discovery ship was mm -hmm. compared to what they were supposed to be at the time, mm -hmm. uh, despite it being before the original series. Then the strange time jump and the over reliance on the mirror universe—they have whole several episode arcs in the mirror universe. Mm -hmm. And just the overall, overall darker tone of the show has been criticized. Uh, have you watched any of it? Um, yes, but I don't think I even watched the beginning. I think you just like had me watch an episode that you really liked. And it's quite possible because I remember there was some weird creature they were like was locked away and they were feeding and the tardigrade. Know. Okay. The yeah. Big, see, big, I, big tardigrade bear. I had no idea what that was. So I, maybe, wasn't the maybe first I, episode, I don't remember but, what episode um, that would have been though. I'm not a fan of, of yucky, gory, scary. There's a lot more of that. Stuff. In, in and discovery, so yeah. Matt was like, nah, you, you don't want to watch it. That's right. I remember <laughs> saying that now. Yeah. It's, yeah. it was, it was darker. Heavy, darker tone. Uh, mm -hmm. I remember the initial um, initial criticisms were about that it was going to have foul language in it as well. Oh. And people are just like, that's that's not that's really not the Star Trek, Trek mm -hmm. that we want. We don't want the F word and the S word. Mm -hmm. And I don't think they ever got there. I don't recall that actually happening. Mm. I think if that was the plan, they backed away from it. But it was darker. Um, it did not focus on like individualized episodes it was more storylines and that was stories. all it was focused on kind of mm -hmm. thing mm -hmm. um when there was something that disrupted the main story it was usually a several episode arc kind of thing and i think mm -hmm. that happened with the mirror universe they accidentally ended up in the mirror universe in the middle of whatever they were else else they were doing so they had like three or four episodes where they had to figure that out and get back wow um <laughs> It's, it's, that's, that's kind of been the problem is that it, it just didn't feel like Star Trek. Yeah. It felt like fan fiction made for, you know, Star Trek has largely been like a family friendly show and it was like, this is the adult fan fiction kind of thing. Mm. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. It was okay. Like they were trying to go all Batman dark. Or yeah. Something. Like Batman, Batman dark. <laughs> it was okay. Not my favorite, but. I was still excited that there was new Trek, you know, yeah. new Star Trek. Yeah. Um, How many years had it been between? Se se several, like two decades. Yeah. Almost. A uh, decade and a half. So, because yeah. it was 2007, I think, when Voyager ended. 
2004? I don't remember. Me neither. But anyway, it's been a while. <laughs> been a long time. And so I was excited for that. It uh, the, ship's, the ship had a spore drive system, which was the weird technology that made it super futuristic and allowed it to travel across vast distances in an instant. Uh, like the whole ship, it would just go flip and poof, and it's gone, and then it poof, appears somewhere else, mm. and that was weird. Um, <laughs> the power it was uh, it was powered by that giant tardigrade like creature named Ripper, uh, who forms a symbiotic bond with engineer Paul Stamets. Uh, yeah, it was strange. Weird. Was strange. Weird. <laughs> it was all strange, and then the second season was strange. With the weird, there was like this weird red angel that they were chasing through the galaxy and time and all this. And then Mm -hmm. they ended up in the future. And in the future, like this is past everything that's happened. Like it was the furthest in the future we've seen in Star Trek. Mm. And there was something called the burn where like the, the source of fuel that they used throughout the entire galaxy exploded everywhere. And it was all gone. And so oh. they now didn't have, I don't remember what it was, dilithium or whatever it is. Whatever they use, uh-huh. it was all gone. And so they had to figure out. Uh, I think, And I think uh, Earth was being blamed for that. And so they had to like prove it wasn't our fault. And I don't remember. I, it lost me. It lost me. <laughs> I love fu- the future, the time travel stuff. And they just didn't do it great for yeah. my taste. I didn't like it. Yeah. <sighs> so anyway... Let's move on to the next show, which was Star Trek Picard. Now, I remember when they announced this, mm-hmm. I stopped my world, <laughs> sent you the video, said, watch this right the heck now. <laughs> Super excited to see yeah. Jean-Luc Picard back. So this right. series focused on retired Starfleet Admiral Jean-Luc Picard. It began at the end of the 24th century, 20 years after the character's last appearance in Star Trek Nemesis. It mm-hmm. brings together a mostly new crew, as well as bringing in Seven of Nine to mm-hmm. reprise her role from Voyager. Mm-hmm. Each of the three seasons is much more like three separate miniseries. So again, this isn't individualized yeah. episodes. They're telling a story. They're short seasons. They're only 10 episodes, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last one, Welcome Back, nearly the entire Next Generation crew for one last mission. Uh, it has had wavering reviews depending on the season, with the second season kind of being the least popular, the third season being the best, even mm-hmm. if it was mostly nostalgia-driven. Uh, now, I don't think I've seen the third season. You haven't seen the third season. We need to sit down and watch it. Yeah, we do. Um I might have only seen the first. Have you seen Q's Return? I don't think so. And you might have only seen the first season. Mm-hmm. We just need to. We just need, need to, to get you know. Paramount Plus for a couple of months. And watch all this stuff. <laughs> this is all out there. Now. But that first season, I thought was good. It was different. Yeah. It was a little on the darker side, mm-hmm. but it was more like the movie kind of darkness that they had in First Contact and and uh, Nemesis. It wasn't the the same kind of heaviness that discovery has. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that was fun. We got a little bit of the nostalgia going on there. We saw data again. Uh, One of the key points was data was trying to die, Mm -hmm. like really die. Right. Cause like he had died, but his computer consciousness was still existing Mm -hmm. and he wanted to be gone. Yeah. And that was an interesting thing. And Mm -hmm. then spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, I'm sorry, but we're getting into it. (laughs) Jean-Luc Picard also dies. 
Right. And then he becomes an android. <laughs> yeah. <that's laughs> they rebuild his weird. body. <laughs> and so he's, yeah. he looks the same in the next two seasons, but he basically can't die at this point. <laughs> he's a robot. <laughs> really weird. It's very strange. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't want to spoil season three at all. Season two is weird. It, Q came back and he's kind of losing his powers. That's one of the main mm. cruxes of it. Um, but he's also still continuing the thing that he's been doing with <laughs> Jean-Luc Picard the whole time. So it's kind of fun in that way. It just, it was, it felt messy. It felt, it felt sloppy. Let's mm. put it together. The story felt sloppy. Mm. But season three was so much fun. Oh gosh. I was worried it was going to be, you know, like every episode you get one of the crew member joining you for a leg of this journey. But no, it was they brought them all together and just had an awesome adventure. So I'm not going to spoil what it is, but it's so good. And I think it ends the storyline of the next generation perfectly or as near perfect as anyone could expect. Okay. So if you have avoided <laughs> Picard or you just didn't go to season three because you thought season two sucked, go watch season three. If you're a fan <laughs> of Next Generation, so good. Uh, fun fact, that's not really about the show, uh, but Picard is one of the few Star Trek characters to have a Pokemon named after him. Oh. There's a Pokemon card, uh, Picardian. <laughs> which evolves, which is a psychic type that uh, resembles a starfish. It evolves from uh, Patrican and into Stuart, Stuarian. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's cool. Uh, in the second season of Discovery, we got to meet an early version of Spock, number one, and mm-hmm. Captain Christopher Pike as part of their storyline. Uh, before Discovery, time jumped into the future. They were such popular guest stars that it greenlit Strange New Worlds, which just wrapped up its second season. Now, Strange New Worlds has done a lot to repair some of the complaints from the new series. Is mm-hmm. uh, It has much a much less darker tone. It does have a couple episodes where it gets darker and heavier, mm-hmm. but overall, it has a much more classic Star Trek feel to it. Mm-hmm. It's funnier. Uh, it feels more like classic Trek shows of the past. We see several early versions of uh, Kirk's Enterprise crew, uh, and even an early version of Kirk, who's not actually a part of the Enterprise, Enterprise, but his brother is, and so he visits occasionally. Uh, <laughs> Got to figure out a way to get Kirk in there. And, I mean, and he's on. not, yeah, and he's not far away from <laughs> taking command of the Enterprise. You know, that's how the series is going to end. You know, right. it's going to end with Kirk taking control because um, <laughs> we know the story of Pike. Uh, right. Right. We knew the story of Pike already, but they kind of retold it in Discovery to where Pike also knows what's going to happen to him. And so that's kind mm-hmm. of the thing going into this series is that Pike knows what's happening. Mm-hmm. Pike knows what's coming for him. And he's still trying to be the best, the best captain be. that he can be. <laughs> uh, I think this version of Christopher Pike is so good. Yeah. I love yeah. I love the whole cast of this. Mm-hmm. Um, let me look at the the Spock's just everywhere. Actors, yeah. <laughs> uh, so Anson Mount is Christopher Pike. He's fantastic. Ethan Peck, I think, better than Zachary Quinto's rep, uh, reprise. Mm. I think Ethan Peck is doing so good as Spock. Uh, we got Nurse Chapel. Uh, played by Jess Bush. Uh, she does a fantastic job. 
uh, as the head nurse mm-hmm. in the med bay. Um, Lan Noonien Singh, Christina Chong, playing the daughter of uh, Khan, but as the chief of security, and her trying to reckon with, you know, who her father is, as a fantastic story element. Mm. Uh, Celia Rose Gooding playing Nyota Uhura. She's great in the role. Really mm-hmm. good in the role. Uh, I think I think I was hesitant with her in the first season. But I think in the second season, at least what I've, little I've seen, I haven't seen the whole of it. I've only seen a few of the episodes. But mm-hmm. I think she really comes into the character a lot more Yeah, in this one. And I think that was part of the story arc, too. It just feels like that's how they've been doing it. So we watched... Of Strange New World Season 2, we've only watched the two special episodes, which was the crossover with Lower Decks, which mm-hmm. was so funny, <laughs> and the musical episode that just yes. came out a couple of weeks ago. Yes. That was so good. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It was so good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so there's been a lot of debate about that. It's, it was the penultimate episode of Season 2. It was the next to last episode. Where it was a musical episode explained by some weird musically inclined cloud of what's it in space. Who knows, whatever. (laughs) But quite a few Trekkies have complained saying, well, this isn't Star Trek. Hot dang it was. And it was glorious. (laughs) It is in my top three Strange New Worlds episodes for sure. Um, Yeah. Just a fan. Golly, the songs were so well done. The songs were really good. Yeah. There's... Musical episodes are hard to pull off, mm-hmm. and a lot of shows are not successful. Successful. Mm-hmm. Scrubs, fantastic job. Mm-hmm. The Flash, not so good. Uh, this one, probably the best one. Yeah. Beautifully sung, beautifully put together music. Loved really, it all. Really good. Mm-hmm. Uh, overall, it is receiving great reviews and ratings, returning to the format that most of us know and love. Uh, the season also, again, like I said, featured a crossover time travel episode with Lower Decks, which was also done amazingly well. Mm-hmm. Lower Decks is set um, shortly after Voyager. I don't know. It's it? it's know. it's not far past the end of right. the standard Voyager and Star Trek Nemesis kind of timeline. Mm-hmm. Star Trek Nemesis Voyager had already gotten back and Catherine had been granted admiralship. So I think it's about that time, right after okay. Nemesis. Okay. But anyway, it's it's so it's set far enough that most of Star Trek's past mm-hmm. can be used as joke fodder for the show. Mm-hmm. Um which we will jump into here in a second. Um yeah. Okay, I guess that's what we're jumping into right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, that's <laughs> so what Star we're Trek, talking about. Star Trek, I didn't realize that was my transition <laughs> into it already. Star Trek Lower Decks uh, is an animated adult series that follows the low-ranking support crew mm-hmm. of the starship Cerritos, rhymes with Fritos, or Doritos, uh, <laughs> in the 24th century. <laughs> so this this is not a seri- serious Trek show. Uh, instead, mm-hmm. it plays with things that people don't think about. Or have thought about, but are never addressed, like bathrooms and right. Yeah. <laughs> what happens to all the blood and guts in the holodeck whenever you take off the uh, the safety measures? You know, <laughs> who cleans that? Does it clean itself? <laughs> like this kind of stuff is uh, 
is addressed. Yeah. It's the crew that's in the background that yeah. has to do all this stuff. Yeah. Uh, this show also takes similar stories from real shows, from the real shows, uh, and takes them kind of to ridiculous lengths. Um, it's more like a love letter to the fandom than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't, it, it's not supposed to take itself seriously as a part of Star Trek lore. Right. Aside from the one episode of Strange New Worlds, where it's just really cool to see how they interacted with that crew going back in time by accident mm-hmm. and having to figure out how to get to the future. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what's what's what I really like about that that episode is how they're talking about all this stuff that hasn't <laughs> happened yet and trying not to. <laughs> But they do it anyway. But it's all real things that happen in the future of Star Trek. Yeah. It feels like. Yeah. You know, it really does feel like it's like, oh, you can't say that yet. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. It was so well done. Um. (laughs) And it was like, you know, you know, they're fans of all the people that they're got jumped back in time with Mm -hmm. and so like you also see the you know meeting your hero kind of feeling to it and yeah (laughs) then there was the one one nod to the next generation that they did where boimler gets on a saddle that's in the room that he's standing in and he says Riker as he does the <laughs> leg move that Riker always did to get in chairs. Like it was just, it was beautiful. It was beautiful. The show set in the year 2380. Okay. So that's one year after the events of Star Trek Nemesis. Okay. I was right on. Okay. Last film to feature the cast of the next generation. Uh, it is also the first Star Trek series to take place in the 24th century since Star Trek Voyager ended in 2001. That was earlier than I thought. Wow. Wow. The show, uh, is inspired by Star Trek, the next generation episode, lower decks, mm-hmm. uh, which focused on four junior officers of the USS enterprise D. Mm-hmm. I remember that episode because mm-hmm. you were seeing the big storyline happening in the background, but you couldn't piece it together. You're just seeing basic, you see glimpses of what's happening with the the bridge crew mm-hmm. throughout the episode. And then it's just them reacting like what's going on kind of yep. thing. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> uh, another animated Star Trek series uh, right now is happening and it's called uh, Star Trek Prodigy. And this is aimed at children. Okay. It follows a group of young aliens in the 24th century who find the abandoned starship Protostar, which has an emergency command hologram, which is Captain Janeway. Oh. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Voiced by... By... Mulgy? Mul- Catherine Mulgrew or whatever her name is. Yeah. I've already closed her cast thing, so I can't remember now. <laughs> uh, but yes, voiced by the same character. Wow. I don't think we have much to say about this one. I know you haven't seen any of it. Mm-mm. I've only watched the first couple of episodes. It looked fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, just not enough for me to be gripped as an adult. Because yeah. it's not it's not the standard kind of crew. It's like four alien kids that are escaping a prisoner planet or whatever and they find this ship and so they're now arguing over who's the captain and all this and just, you know, it's, it's a very kid forward right. show. Right. It's um, like if you want your kids to love Star Trek, maybe. Yeah. This is a good start. It's a, yeah, it would be a good start to get into it. <laughs> uh, it did get removed from Paramount+. Plus. This was hyped mm. as a Nickelodeon show. Got removed yeah. from Paramount+. Plus. 
Um, but word is that they're trying to find a new home for it and that it's going to keep going. Hmm. There is one more show that we want to mention that, like yesterday, isn't officially Star Trek, mm-hmm. but it is Star Trek in all the right ways. <laughs> and that is The Orville. Mm-hmm. Seth MacFarlane's parody of Star Trek that actually has a ton of heart to it. And it really, mm-hmm. like it was it was airing at the same time as Discovery. And we were often in the mindset, this is much more Star Trek than Discovery is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's, it's Star Trek with adult humor, essentially. It's mm-hmm. not really family friendly, mm-hmm. but it's not so adult that you're off put by it. It's, they have a standard kind of Star Trek, you know, story of the week episode mm-hmm. and they sneak in a joke here and there, an adult right. joke here and there. Right. <laughs> um, but I, I think it's had three seasons. I think it's all on Hulu. But it's so good. It is. It is good. It's well done. It has a lower decks feel to it because they do also address some of the weird things about yeah, Star Trek. The crew isn't as formal. Right. So, you know, it's, yeah. But it, it really does have the Star Trek feel. And like I said, the heart, too. They, it, it's mm-hmm. not all one big joke. And mm-hmm. it's not family guy. You know, it's not like that. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. They, they, they really did want to make a show similar to Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Just with some adult humor mixed in. Mm-hmm. And so you still get that same heart, the same feeling, that same connection with the cat, the, the crew um, following their storylines. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes their storylines are a little bit more wacky, mm-hmm. but still you get invested. Yeah. It's a really good show. Yeah. Uh, so if you've never checked out the Orville because you thought it was just going to be making fun of Star Trek, go watch it. I think it's all on Hulu. Like I said, it's a fantastic show. Most Star Trek, Star Trek, Star Trek fans <laughs> will love it. Uh, and that's it. That is all the Star Trek we can cram into a week. Wow. Quite the journey. Mm-hmm. But I think it's clear Star Trek is our favorite science fiction series out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and with the writer's strike having no end in sight, mm-hmm. you might need to fill your days with something new. There are over 700 hours of Star Trek out there. Tomorrow, here on YouTube and on LTN Radio and on our podcast feed, you can catch the Rise and Shine weekly episode, our recap of just our focus topic for the week, all in one episode. But for today, we are out of coffee, so we got to get going. Thank you for joining us for Rise and Shine Nerds. We want to invite you to get behind the scenes by joining our LT and Discord community. Once you've joined at lovethynerd.com slash Discord, simply go to Channels and Roles and click on Rise and Shine Nerds, and that will give you access. You can help us plan shows and segments and even be on the show yourself on occasion. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app or through the Love Thy Nerd YouTube channel so you don't miss an episode. And tell us what you think of the show via our socials at Rise and Shine LTN on Facebook and Twitter. Once again, I'm Radio Matt. I'm Daedra. And as always, a reminder. Jesus loves you, nerds. 